Six years ago, Ellis Hammond's entire mission changed. He was a full-time college pastor with vision and passion, but broke. Now a full-time real estate entrepreneur, Ellis is the founder of Kingdom Real Estate Investors, the number one community for faith-driven leaders impacting the world through real estate investing. If you're a kingdom-minded real estate investor or entrepreneur seeking to advance God's kingdom outside the church walls, welcome to the Kingdom REI podcast, where Ellis interviews Christian entrepreneurs and investors focused on advancing God's kingdom through real estate investing. Enjoy the show. Welcome, everyone, to the Kingdom Real Estate Investor Podcast. I'm your host, Ellis Hammond, my man, Cameron Roy, with the Common Good Fund. What's up, my man? Hey, new year, new me. New year. <laughs> this is our first recording in 2023, and uh, I am so thrilled about our guests today. Uh, I spent some time personally with them, and truly, when I think about you know what I was most impressed about this couple, one is their passion for life, but... Uh, dude, Ben, like you, you gave so much to me in the three days that we were together uh, with contacts, with um, just wisdom and advice. And so uh, I know our audience, Cameron, I know you haven't met this couple yet, but like we're in for a special, special treat. I'm excited. Uh, and not gonna lie, I thought his name was Humble. Uh, I thought his last name was Humble this whole time until I got his bio. So I'm not even sure how to say your last name. So Ben, I'm going to let you introduce yourself and uh, this beautiful lady next to you. I'm not sure, you know, if she uh, uh, if she claims you or not, but I'm going to let you make an introduction real quick before we, before we get in. Hey, really excited to be here. Thank you guys for having us and talking about some kingdom stuff. I'm Ben. This is Andrea. Uh, go by humble because like every immigrant, we all need nicknames. <laughs> or you can just butcher our name our entire lives. So uh, <laughs> Our, our real name is Murashan or Mirasin or Murasan or whatever you want to try pronouncing it. We're both from Romania and, you know, we got married just over 14 years ago and we've been living the dream life, uh, being able to build something together, being able to do kingdom works together, being able to just grow in our development together and as a couple. And it's been just such a cool privilege. So we're so excited to share with what we've learned and, and what we're doing with your folks. Yeah. And just to give you guys a heads up for those who are listening, you know, uh, Ben became a millionaire at 30 years old. He's uh, helped uh, tons of people through his community cash flow tribe, uh, mostly serving Canadians, achieve financial freedom uh, and financial independence. And, and, and that's a, a core component of what we talk about the show of building and creating wealth to have independence so that you can go do the things that, uh, that you want to have a greater impact on. And so I'm really looking forward to just diving into that and some of the things you teach uh, and train others and have helped others achieve financial independence. So if that's a goal of yours and you're listening to the show and you're saying, hey, how do I over the next three, four, five years really attain financial independence? That's one of the big topics we're going to get into today. Um, but I mean, I'm really just curious and, and Cameron, why don't I ask you to, to kick us off in prayer before we get going today? But I want to I want to back up a little bit and just I got some questions I want to know. I want to learn about you first and then we'll kind of get into this. But Cameron, if you don't mind, man, pray for us today and let's get in. Yeah, no problem. God, thank you for um, just a new start to a new year, God. Thank you for all the provision of 2022, God, and that we anticipate your provision, um, your blessing, your peace, your grace, your mercy for 2023 um, for us on this podcast and those of us listening. And I just pray that um, this conversation now will be guided by the Spirit. It would um, encourage and impact those listening, and we'd all leave here um, encouraged 
towards love and good deeds, um, to love you more, to just be part of cultivating this place called earth that you've put us on to cultivate God. So we love you and um, just thank you for Christ. It's in his name I pray. Amen. So like the first thing I'm really curious about is just you came from Romania or both of you came from Romania. Is that like your faith, your love for Christ? Is that something that was there with your parents that happened when you got here in the States? Like, how did you become this power couple who loves Jesus, you know, through what may have may or not been a kind of a tribulation of getting here? Well, babe, I'll share the story real quick. So I was born in Romania, both of us in communism. And we were in a place that uh, had no freedoms, no freedom of expression, no freedom of faith. And my parents made had to make a hard decision. And that was, you know, they got a they got a voice, you know, from somebody who came to the church and just had a, just from promptings of the spirit, just, just witness to them that God wants more for you and your family. Mom and dad had to make a hard choice to leave everyone and everything they knew behind. And they literally fled. There was five children at the time. They physically couldn't carry all five. So they had to choose. And dad had to make the hardest choice of his life, chose three kids. I was the oldest and we ran across the border and we made it to a refugee camp where we spent just under a year during which communist Romania fell, the dictatorship had ended, and eventually our family was reunited in a refugee camp. We then applied to come to North America and Canada. The other two that them. the other two that got left. I stop for a hold on a second. <laughs> hold on, we going too quick. Like, what do you mean he left two kids, man? What I mean like, is he, he had five. And he physically couldn't carry all five children because they had to run, and it was a two and a half day journey. So, so he had to go. Literally put like he's what he's carrying you to the like he's running with you. Yes, he was physically carrying us. So I'm four but years. The other old. two couldn't walk. Like explain like that. Just like here's my thing. Like I can't imagine. I know your father. Like I, I want to bring us into this, dude. How how do you leave two? Like my point is like, can we get him in a wagon? Have you guys talked about this? Like what happened? So let me explain the terrain. First of all, we have to run to the bordering country. We've got to hide all day and we've got to cross out in the nighttime on foot through the trenches, through the security and patrols. And we've got to make it to the other side of the border. If we can clear the border, then we can get far enough where we can have a vehicle pick us up on the other side of the border drive to the next border and then repeat that all over again. So there was two physical borders they had to cross. The neighboring country would return us back to Romania. And it was either, you're either in jail, you're shot, something's happening. So the, the danger was for the ones that left, not for the ones that stayed. So he had, you know, a four-year-old, a three-year-old, a two-year-old, a baby, and a, and a newborn. And my mom had to strap one child to one arm Dad had to strap another child to his arm, and I was four. I'm the oldest. I can walk. So he went to a neighbor and said, you know, I need you to watch my two kids, my brother and my sister, for the night. I'll be back. And he knew that that was the hardest thing he'd ever have to do was turn around and leave his kids there. He prayed and had faith that if we made it to the refugee camp, hopefully something like the Red Cross could reunite the family. He just had tremendous faith that if he just got where he was supposed to go, God would provide. Wow. And we get to this refugee camp. We make it with a small group of people. We finally show up and nobody was going with kids. Nobody was running with children then because it was obviously dangerous. Shows up to the refugee camp, doesn't speak German. We're in Austria. And uh, we enter this camp. After he gets there, he calls home and says, I've left my kids. Calls his sister, said, I left the kids with the neighbor. You have to go get them. 
So they had spent a few months with um, our aunt in Romania. Now, the way that it worked out was a few months later, um, the Romanian government was overthrown. And what happened is they uh, they took the president and his wife and they had a trial, you know, kind of like a high school mock trial and guilty, of course. And they took them behind the building and basically executed them. So Romania, all the borders were instantly open. And my dad calls home and says, bring me my kids. Wow. So my mom, when she ran, was pregnant. I didn't leave that part out, did I? <laughs> That's with crazy. Her sixth, with her sixth child. So that when she came home from the hospital in March with her sixth child, my dad walks in the house with these scrawny two little kids and mom didn't even recognize that was her children because she hadn't seen them in so long. So in the morning, they had three kids in the refugee camp and in the evening, they had six. How's that for a start? <laughs> Pretty crazy, right? It's unbelievable. So that's the miracle of life. When you start life that way, everything else is possible with God's power. Hmm. If you have enough faith, came to Canada, had three more kids. My wife was still in Romania. She was born in 88. So she was born the year before we ran. And what happened was, well, I'll let Andrea kind of share, but her family won the lottery. Yeah. So, so we were born right before, or I was born right before the revolution and, um, growing up to us, it wasn't like the churches had opened up, everything had opened up. You could, you know, go buy groceries. You didn't have to stand in lines like you did prior to the revolution. So for me, growing up was normal. Um, but I had this, you know, freedom to be able to go to church. So I actually grew up in the church. My parents took me from when I was a little kid. I remember going to Sunday school. That's where I got saved. And then, um, my dad got laid off in the mid nineties and he couldn't find a job. And my brother-in-law said, Hey, you know, I've been applying for a visa to go to America. I don't win, but Hey, why don't we apply for a visa? Maybe you win and you can take the family to America. So my dad had applied for the visa lottery. Um, it's a thing in case you didn't know about it. It's a thing. And we won. <laughs> and we weren't expecting it at all. My mom actually didn't want to move here at all. And um, it was just through the, the hand of God that we were able to get the visa. We were able to kind of jump through some of the hoops at the embassy and the interviews and everything got sorted out. So, you know, it's such a big contrast between our stories because he literally risked his life. His parents risked their lives to come to America versus my family. We won the lottery and people say all the time, you come to America, you win the lottery. I literally won. <laughs> so if that's not enough motivation, enough push, I don't know what it is. <laughs> because it shows about financial freedom and you guys come from such a different context of even the ability to obtain financial independence. Like, why was that? Like, how did that become a goal for both of you? Like, or even a priority? Like, what, or why is it so important? Like, how, how do you describe that? Let me give you a clear answer for all immigrants. We achieved actual freedom first. Freedom of speech, freedom of religion, freedom to behave and do what we wanted to do in this amazing North American ecosystem. So the honest answer, dude, is that when you've achieved real freedom, financial freedom is a piece of cake because there's no actual real risk in financial freedom. We seem to have this fight or flight mechanism in us where, you know, we go to apply for a mortgage loan 
and get our second duplex. And we're like, oh my God, a wildebeest is going to attack me. And you, and you trigger all this like fear and anxiety and panic and all these things. And really at the end of the day, it's not actual risk. It's a perceived financial risk. So for us, I would say it's an incredible blessing that we have done. We have achieved this level of freedom where when we're like, let's go make money, it just seemed like, a okay, great. Thank God we live in this incredible country. So I think it actually comes back to perspective. When we gained that freedom and when we got married early on, um, I was a musician growing up and I always wanted to be a musician and I was in university for music and I was in the wrong program. So the teacher said to me, you're the most talented, but laziest kid we have. You'll never make it as a high school music teacher. And I was like, that's what I'm here for? <laughs> oh, crap. So it was, you got to leave the, pro I left the program basically. And I said, I'm never going to allow somebody to dictate what I can do financially. And I'm going to just take it into my own hands. And that's what we did. Andrea worked, she went to corporate finance and she took a different route and she got uh, an MBA and she was absolute steward of our finances. And I went the entrepreneurial route and just hit the streets and started a cleaning company and then a real estate company and then a lending company and then an education company. And the two of us together have just lived this really interesting parallel where God just keeps providing. And it's like money isn't hard. It's just a little bit harder than you want it to be. Becoming wealthy isn't hard. God already gives you provision. It's the easiest thing for him to do. Have a little bit of faith. Have some willingness to do the work have some willingness to do a little bit more work than you think it's going to take. And you can achieve financial independence in a pretty short period of time, but you have everything at your disposal. So to me, it's not only a duty to become financially responsible. It's also the ultimate stewardship. God gave you time, money, family relationships. And my question to people is how are you stewarding those things? If you're broke, I would challenge you that you're not being a responsible steward. I like to think too about the saying, God helps those who help themselves. And I feel like so many times, you know, we've been blessed or we've received opportunities. Doors have been open for us. And I'm like, God, what did I do to receive this opportunity? But it's not because of my worth or it's not because of what I should be getting. It's simply because God is giving an opportunity, but it's your responsibility to step through that door. And it's your responsibility to make something. So God will help you, but you also have to help yourself in the process. Yeah, that, uh, oh, go ahead, Cameron. I got this. Is so good. Go ahead. Yeah, I, I think I've said this before on this podcast, but it, that just reminds me so much of a quote I love. It says, "The relationship between God and man is that of God and a farmer. The farmer must rely on God to do what only God can do, which is give the growth. But God will not do what the farmer should be doing, which is cultivating the land. Um, could he snap his fingers and make uh, a crop grow out of just dry and?" Uh, barren in desert land a hundred percent but the call and the commission to participate with god in the cultivation of earth comes from our willingness kind of like you were talking about just stepping forward in in faith and and realizing okay this is maybe a financial risk it's not this big scary monster risk where my life's over i mean you've experienced that as a child but um yeah that's the, that's the way to go is the participation and active cultivation with God and the things he's given us to steward. Yeah. I want to go back to something you said, because I think coming, not living, growing up in this country, or maybe you grew up, but my point is you also have a very different context in which, in which you can uh, frame this, you know, it, it, it baffle, like hearing your story. It's like, it baffles me that we 
like when I put it into context of the immigrant and coming from a different country where you didn't have the opportunity if you would have stayed in Romania to to not only achieve financial independence but any independence at all. And then you come into this country, not only do you have freedom, you now can go create and build wealth where where, you know, if you describe that to Romania in nineteen eighty five, that wasn't even the possibility. How like it would almost be offensive, right, Ben? Right, Andrea, if you didn't take advantage of the opportunity that you've been given here in the United States to build and create wealth and the impact that can have on others. And it's and so I just love to hear your thoughts on like for those of you for those maybe you're listening who don't have that different contact context and maybe they they have grown up in a society where there is so much privilege and it's almost the opposite. It's like there's almost a a shame to like go create more or go get more. You know what I'm saying? Like it's so interesting how those two different contexts have literally created a narrative um, that one celebrates and almost shames not going and pursuing more. And there's a context which um, which does the opposite of celebrate. It actually places shame on those who want to go and create more. Can you speak to that, uh, particularly to those who don't have that context in which you come from, but maybe have you know, have the context of growing up and living here. My mom used to have a saying, and it was, don't stop the blessings. And I think if you're born into what we'll call privilege, to me, it seems like you have such tremendous blessing over your life and opportunity, where if I would to take you and put you in a different country and send another, which is how I live every day, if I don't, if, if I don't do what God asks me to do, why not just send another? Why give me this opportunity? Why not just send another cousin, an uncle, another person my age? Like, Romania has a massive orphan population for my generation because of all these kids post-communism who couldn't, like, parents couldn't feed their children. They would drop them off or discard them or throw them away. There's a whole lost generation of, of, of Romanians. And it's like, if you're not willing, if you don't see the blessing and you don't embrace, with every blessing comes an opportunity. It's a privilege and a responsibility to live in the US and Canada. It's both. I think we have to look at the responsibility as well and go, well, God's given me so much and not that it would stop with me. See, the blessing that God's given you wasn't designed for just you. The money that you have in your bank account wasn't designed for just you. Just because it was intended for you doesn't mean that it was destined for you, my pastor says. Meaning if you've been given an incredible opportunity to go and produce, and create jobs, and create revenue, and create opportunity. If you've been given that opportunity, then you have the stewardship principle means that you must take that responsibility, and you have to pay it forward. Go and help other people who can't. Go and serve other people who can never repay you, right? To the least of these. Hmm. I just think we are called to this. I think if you're in North America, you've got a really hard case, hard case to prove to me that if you tell me you're not called to go and do more, than your basic comforts. I don't think God put you in an environment where you have an economy that can produce wealth and abundance, and yet you choose not to. We, we all have free will, all of us. And if you have free will, that means that you've got to make a conscious decision every single day. Are you living in the purpose that God designed for you? Are you going to stand up and say, God created me for more? Or are you going to say, God created me for average? God created me for less. He didn't create less. He wants greatness from you. He doesn't want complacency from us. 
This is why I read this whole humble thing. It comes out of one of my uh, scriptures is Matthew 23, 12. It says, whoever exalts himself will be humbled and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. Which means that God, do whatever with my life you want me to do. Tell me. I'll humble myself before you, God. And if God says, move here, go here, do this, invest that, that's what we need to be open to. And if you don't do that, what are you saying to your creator who created you to create? Gave you an opportunity so that you can create opportunities. Gave you abundance so you can share it. I think if you hold it hostage, then you're holding the blessings of God hostage. Yeah. And that I have a hard time with. So I think well, if you're born here, oftentimes we look at the emotional distinction between, let's say, an immigrant and a non-immigrant. And the emotion is we're driving towards it because we feel compelled to do something. And, 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 and you see the passion and the intensity. But if you just take the logical standpoint and say, if to, much, if to whom much was given, much was required, if that's an accurate parable, aren't we given so much? Hmm. Are, are, you, are you a person of, of much or are you a person of little? And I think even in the, even in the most welfare communities, I think that what's powerful is considering the fact that there are other communities that are in greater need than even yours. Hmm. Other tribes, other countries, there's a level of persecution in the world that does not exist on Instagram. Hmm. There's a level of real scarcity. Like in 85, they used to tell us that Americans sleep under bridges. They used to tell us that America was a broken state. They used to tell us that Americans were poor and desolate because they didn't want Romanians to think there was a better version of life until we smuggled in American VHS movies and we would watch movies of Thanksgiving dinners and our minds would be blown like, how could there be so much food on this table? And that's what the Romanian propaganda didn't want. Wow. So I speak to that and think, I think it's a level of conviction and every person needs to look inside and say, God, what do you really want for my life? There's no way it's just to survive. No way. I mean, one of my favorite quotes, I just think of it often. It says a real man is someone who has nothing to lose and nothing to prove. And for the Christian, even more, like the only thing for the, a real Christian is gain. If you have, you know, considered this place temporary, a tent, and that you are an alien, and that nothing um, on this earth goes with you into heaven. And, and the only things worth sowing in this life are those that will be reaped in heaven. There's nothing to lose. You have absolutely no loss. Now, that doesn't mean run around and be foolish and, and cause chaos and havoc and create firestorms behind you. But how you're talking, it's just, we, we especially in this country, if you're here, you have an incredible opportunity. Um Ellis, maybe you told me this, or someone one time told me, a pastor, a missionary friend of mine, they said, uh, to, you want to cure ignorance, travel. Traveling cures ignorance. And to your point, there is so much suffering and um, glass ceilings and all over the world. And the result of trying to get over those is perse real persecution, not just negative comments on social media. Guys, if you're not following Ben, uh, Ben at Ben Humble underscore on Instagram, I just want to make sure where people know, even in the show right now, where to go uh, at Ben Humble underscore. Andre, do you, do you have an Instagram as well? Do you want people to go follow you? Yeah, but if you go to Ben's profile, you'll find me. <laughs> okay. Um, so I want to I want to um, transition us 
with the time we have we i mean we <laughs> i i feel so bad for our audience that that we're gonna have to end this show in like the next 10 to 20 minutes because there's just so much more here that i know people are like wait <laughs> we're just kind of tapping in um but i want to transition us to uh your tribe the tribe that you are building and maybe how you are spending a lot of your time doing this is the cash flow tribe uh this seems to be uh kind of where you where you invest a lot of this time and energy towards and I guess how I want to focus this is where do you guys see opportunity for your community right now? If someone really is saying, okay, I get this. I, I want more. I want to build wealth. I want to, I want to create opportunity. Um, where do you see the opportunity at right now? Uh, and, and what are you guys teaching inside of your tribe where folks can begin to look for opportunity at? I'll give you my answer. Then I think Andrea can share as well, her perspective. Um, we really got started aggressively in 2008 and 2009 and a lot of people are afraid of short-term volatility in the marketplace. So in the Canadian market, the market has dropped 15 to 20% in some areas, and it really rocked people. If you look at the growth rate of Canada compared to the U.S. in the last 10 years, Canada real estate values were far more speculative and grew at a much harder rate than the American market. Just Google it real quick, which means that we have an incredibly speculative-driven economy. And as they raised the interest rates, and as they started banning foreign buyers into Canada, the opportunity kind of is reminiscent of 2008, 2009. I actually, as an investor and as a business owner in this real estate space, I want volatility. I want volatility because you have to understand the true fundamentals of the economy, which is most of our economy in Canada is driven by debt aggressively. It's like $1.81 of debt for every dollar of discretionary income. It, it's, as long as we can finance it, we can do it. So if you understand that, then you need to understand that most people who own a home, when they go to refinance at the existing rates, just actually don't qualify, especially on a stress test, which is about 200 basis points higher. So here's what that means. People who own their houses can't actually afford them. The income hasn't increased to the level that the real estate values have increased. So a 15% correction isn't a big deal. There's a lot of people underwater, and that'll become more and more apparent as months go by. And you as a real estate investor now have an opportunity to do something. You have an opportunity to not only help people who are underwater in the real estate deal, but also create for you an opportunity to buy long-term rental housing or wholesaling or flip properties or continue. Like we have a massive inventory shortage, much like the U.S., but our population is way smaller and we're still about a million units plus short. We also expand and plan to have over a million in our immigration policy in the next couple of years, which is inc incredible to me. So my point is this. There is no external reason, there's no market condition, no lack of capital, and no lack of inventory reason why you can't get started in real estate right now, why you can't make offers, why you can't lock up deals, why you can't buy real estate. We have a tremendous amount of, of capital sitting in RSPs and registered funds, which all of that can be directed to self-directed accounts and be used for mortgage investment. So there's a lot of capital. There is a lot of deal flow. What it takes is a person willing to put in the effort. And it's as simple as creating KPIs. If you're brand new to real estate, listen, it'll be 30 offers to five great deals to closing on one. If you can simply understand that this is a numbers game and you're willing to put forth the effort, there's no reason you can't, stacking, you can't start stacking doors like we did in 08 and 09. So that's what I see. I see short-term volatility equals an entry point for people that have been waiting for the market to cool off a bit. But Dre, what do you see in your end of things? Well, and, and real quick before you go, Andre, I just want to, so you, so you they're primarily 
the focus for you, Ben, is kind of the single family residential space in Canada. You see there's be some opportunity coming there because of where interest rates are going. People maybe underwater on their values and maybe you're not can't afford that going forward. I think it's a North American problem and not specifically just Canada, but Canada, Canada gets hit hard because of how fast it grew and how much speculation. Like we right. have entire cities on the West Coast that are all investor capital. Nobody wants to say this on, on the internet, but it's money laundering. It's as simple as that. People from other countries looking for a place to park their capital, hide it from their own governments, came to Canadian real estate. Simple. So now we have all this real estate that's either vacant, that they're imposing foreign taxes on, that they're imposing all these rules. They want to impose an anti-flipping tax. It may seem hard. It is hard for the consumer to purchase a home, but it creates an environment for intelligent investors to enter the marketplace. And we have conditions of that in the United States as well. Yeah. There's really no shortage of opportunity. People look at the shortage of inventory and go, oh, there's no real deals. No, no, there's an, there's an increase in opportunity, even though there's a decrease in real estate. And what I mean by real estate is publicly facing retail deals that aren't actually ever real deals. Right. If you're willing to become resourceful, which is the secret, and start hunting for deals, understand how to write contracts, understand how to evaluate short and long-term risk, there's tremendous real estate opportunity. And I'll say one last thing. In the U.S. especially, the multifamily sector is going to get hit really hard because there's a lot of people that are in bridge loans for large multifamily deals. And frankly, those rates are not sustainable. That short-term money is coming to a call and there's going to be a real pain point in, in multifamily. There's going to be a lot of people who just can't afford to continue uh, and keep these cap rates going and, and different things that they're working. Like a lot of people bought a lot of bad deals. And as the market cools off, they're going to have to come to a reckoning. And some of them will just, especially the non-recourse debt in the U.S., it's non-recourse, yeah. which means how hard are you going to fight to keep those properties that are underwater or negative cash flow? Yeah. So I think the professionals will win. And I think like every other market cycle, the people that got in because it was exciting will get out. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think it's interesting because I've spent the last probably six months or so just speaking with different investors I was as I was raising cash for deals. And especially in the last you know few weeks, months, there's a lot of fear. Every time I have a conversation with an investor, oh, well, should I go into it now? Oh, well, should I wait until the rates start to come down? Oh, should I wait until there's more inventory in the market? And I always think about that quote that I'm sure everybody knows from Warren Buffett, when others are fearful, be greedy. And when others are greedy, be fearful. So as we go into this, I just see opportunities. Yes, there's probably going to be people who are going to be burned. Yes, there's probably going to be a lot of people who may lose their homes, investors who lose their invest investments. But I think that's going to, not, going to be an opportunity for everybody else who is looking to buy. And the one thing that I would just caution everyone is be smart about it. Like I think Ben used this word earlier, be an intelligent investor. I spent 12 years in corporate finance. I was on the treasury team at Quicken Loans for four years. Now they're Rocket Mortgage. But I was literally paid to think about the 0.1% probability that you know, what's the risk It's probably never going to happen, but I was paid to think about that and mitigate that risk. So as you look at an investment, think about what is the risk, make sure you get a good deal. I purchased four luxury Airbnbs in the Las Vegas area. 
um, during 2022. And uh, I, I bought some at the beginning of the year. I bought some more later in the year, but I made sure that there was some forced appreciation I could bring in by doing some renovations or whatever the case may be. I definitely didn't overpay for any property. And um, even now we had an appraisal that came in a little bit higher than what we have into it. So for me, that's a great win because even as the investment or even as the uh, market's starting to come down, my investment is still safe. So you got to be intelligent about what properties you invest in, what is the value that you're buying at. And I think the key thing is being willing to take a long-term position. I think so many investors is like, how do I get in and out, in and out, quick flip, right? And I think we've we've talked a lot about this, whether it's real estate, whether it's stocks, whether it's crypto, you've got to be willing to hold it for the long term. Because if you're just trying to be in and out, maybe you'll make a quick buck here and there. Maybe you'll be good at day trading for a short period of time, but eventually you will get burned. So having the liquidity and being able to hold an asset long term so that it can come through whatever economic conditions happen, and then you can come out on the other end. In terms of kind of what makes a good deal right now for you guys, is, is there a criteria you're looking for? Is it, you know, do we go back to the 1% rule right now? Like, is that, you know, something you're looking for in terms of, you know, cash flow to purchase price? What, you know, you said 30 great deals to use your 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 quota there, uh, Ben, 30 great deals, you said, because I don't even think 30 is enough, but you did distinguish it with 30 good deals, five offers, one deal. Um, maybe describe what that is. Sure. So my view, I'll give you, I'll kind of go nerdy for a minute. Is that cool? We're just yeah, nerdy yeah. For four minutes. Okay. Uh, there's wholesaling and flipping and landlording and lending. And there's all these strategies. If you take a strategy agnostic position on the market, take all those strategies and turn them horizontally. I turn all those strategies into potential exit points. So the very first exit is the wholesale exit. There's the least amount of risk, highest amount of reward. The secondary exit is going to be called the whole tail, which is buying it, throwing it on the MLS. The third one is the flip, and those are the active strategies. Then you have the passive strategies, which is vendor take back, uh, rental, and then Airbnb. So our model, my preferred model, is to always have a secondary and a tertiary exit on every deal I do. So the way that that looks for me is that, all right, I'm going to get a deal under contract. I'm fully prepared to keep this deal as a long-term rental. In fact, it checks out my buy box, buy box as a long-term rental. Before I actually get to the point where I keep the deal, I will attempt to wholesale. Can I generate $20,000 on this deal uh, for 20 minutes of my time? Yes, great. If not, cool, let's go ahead and take it to the wholesale, which is close the deal, MLS it. If I'm willing to have a primary and secondary, even a tertiary exit in advance, then I'm not going to be subject to the same volatility as the guy who is just the flipper which happened a lot in the last three to six months. People bought flipping deals. They couldn't sell the deals. Now they're underwater on the deals. They never planned to rent the deals. So I tell people this, create a very intelligent primary secondary exit plan. And then I don't have to play guess, guessing games. I simply buy the deal. I pull the primary. Primary doesn't land. I go to the secondary. But you have to premeditate that. So a good deal to me is one that has a clean primary and a clean secondary. So it may look like something like this. Let's just say I'm going to go ahead and Primary exit is to wholesale and generate cash. Secondary exit is a nice, clean, long-term rental property that cash flows at at least 200 bucks per month. Great. It meets the criteria on the secondary. Now I have no real pressure to wholesale. But if I do and I generate $30,000, well, that's cash today. And maybe the next one I'll keep. So I love the idea of keep the best, wholesale the rest as a strategy for people who want a primary and secondary exit. That to me is a more 
intelligent by design approach to real estate versus choosing one real estate investing vertical. And then it's very cyclical. As you know, with flipping, it's a, it's a cyclical kind of business. It only works in gross markets and down markets is hard to flip properties. So have a strategy that allows for the, for the volatility and the increase in declining markets. Yeah. I would just say, if you're listening and you're like, that sounded good. Like go back and rewind uh, five minutes because I think that was a very, very good explanation of how to um, hedge your risk in this market. And it really goes down to multiple exit strategies. It really comes down, if everything goes wrong, does this deal still cash flow? And, and, and just to summarize what he said, does the deal still cash flow if everything else goes wrong? Uh, can you hold on to this deal long enough and not and, and not lose your money? That that's really but but I would say go back and, and rewind that three or four minutes because that that nerd out was really, really helpful for I think what everybody needs to be doing in this market is is um hedging their risk, hedging their bets, but still going after opportunities because I do think there are plenty. And we're not gonna get into the commercial side of things, which is what I'm in and to just you know, I can't wait to spend a couple of days with you, Ben, to talk about the opportunities coming in the commercial real estate space here, you know, especially in multifamily, for example, all of these syndicators, you know, I mean, that's what we do, right? We syndicate funds. I see it. And I would even say we have some of those deals uh, where I, I see like the trouble that we've had. Thank goodness we have reserves. Thank goodness we have cash. How many of those folks don't, right? How many of those folks, you know, can't go, you know, can't put up more capital to keep these deals going. So um, a lot of opportunity there. I know, I know our time is coming to an end here. Um, Cameron, any, anything to comment on before we, we wrap up here? I'm just glad you said what you said, Ben. Uh, I, uh, multifamily guy mainly, but also do some single family stuff. And that is a strategy I am actively using because of the market. And, um, I'm just glad you reinforced it because part of, part of me feels like at the beginning, it's like, okay, did we get in over our heads? But then part of me is like, we have adjusted for the way the market is in a way that allows us to retain the asset, um, if not cash flow it, break even on it, and then allow us to wait for a better time to put it back on the market as we originally intended, plan one. But plan two is working quite fine as well. So I'm glad you said all that. And Andrea, let me start real quick. Where do folks go? You know, If they're like, hey, I want to, I, I like these folks. Where is, is your Instagram the best place or where do you, where do you uh, want to send people to? Yeah. Humble.ceo website. Humble.ceo. How can we get one of those cool hats? Do I get one of those hats this weekend? Can you bring me a hat? <laughs> 100%. I will hook you up with the hats. I will hook you up with that. No problem. Let's go. Anything else to, to leave our audience with Kingdom Real Estate Investors uh, before we wrap up the show? Yeah. I just think that, you know, God's given us so much abundance and opportunity that I want people to understand that you worrying about provision all day isn't the point. Hmm. Provision is the easiest thing for God to provide. I think you need to look at the opportunity and say, God, where do you want me to be in this 2023 season of my life in relation to my finances and in relation to, to helping other people? I live by an ethos and it's give, gratitude, growth. By living by that ethos, you understand that by giving first, giving your seed, making an investment in yourself, always living with your hand open like this, like my dad taught me, because then abundance can pour out and abundance can pour back in. If you live with a closed fist and a closed wallet and a closed heart, nothing can ever leave, no compliment, no dollar, 
but it's very hard for anything to come back in. So I believe living in a, in a version of conviction with your hand and heart open allows us to be in tune with the opportunities that God gives us. So I would just tell people, instead of praying for a miracle, open your eyes. God may have already opened doors for you, but maybe you're just not being obedient to the opportunities. Uh, like my pastor says, delayed obedience is the same as disobedience. So if you have an opportunity, if God sent you somebody, a mentor, a mastermind, an opportunity, a deal, something in your life that you could take advantage and you're choosing not to, it may be an act of disobedience. And I just would compel people to consider that um, before asking God for more. Amazing. I like that analogy. That's great. Andre, anything else? I just want to add, I think a lot of couples, they don't work together or maybe, you know, they're not necessarily like the, the wife is not always involved with the finances. And I mean, part of me is just, hey, I have a finance background. So of course, I'm going to be an active participant. But I think just working with Ben and, and being one team when it comes to our finances made such a big difference for us because from day one, um, when we got married, we lived in a duplex and we were, you know, we had tenants above us. We had somebody paying our rent and we had very small living expenses. But I think that was something that we came together because we wanted to be on the same page when it comes to finances. And I know that's one of the leading um, reasons why people get divorced. So I just think for all the couples out there, I don't know if your audience is primarily male or female, but make sure you have that conversation with your spouse about your finances, about what you want to achieve, about what you're trying to build. Because it's not just one person building, it's it's us working together. If he's working late nights, I need to be understanding because he's building something for us and vice versa. So just just something to keep in mind. I think it's so right on. It's not just, okay, 2023 is the year of opportunity, but like, it's also, I need to get on the same page with my partner, with my spouse. Are we are we of the same mind, the same accord of that? Uh, so just gets me more excited. I can't believe I'm about to go spend four days with you guys. That's after a whole nother that's podcast. a whole nother podcast, yeah. bro. Yeah, let's come <laughs> back and talk about that one, right? Yeah. That's a whole nother podcast. It would be really out. fun. What do you guys think about this idea? And guys, if, if you like this idea, um let me know in the uh leave us a review or, or post this on Instagram. But if we brought you two back and I brought in Hannah and we just talked about how couples can get on the same page financially in twenty twenty three, would you be down to maybe do a special one on that? I think that would be so so cool so needed so needed right now yeah. we won't get into that topic today but if you're keeping your money apart it's gonna be real hard for you to to live in god's abundance you know you put your money together then you can open up the conversation for god to manage it for both of you not just for yourself so that's a whole nother thing dude it's a whole nother thing <laughs> uh one more time being your website humble.ceo humble.ceo guys if you enjoyed this episode listen we put out this content for free uh, all we ask is you share it, let other people know what we're about, that there's a show talking about how to use real estate, how to use money for the kingdom of Christ, right? This is not prosperity. This is this is what God has given us. He's, he's called us into this, and we want to be a show that's really sharing that message. So do your part. Share this show. Screenshot it. Put it on social media. Let someone know that you enjoyed this, and leave a five-star review because that also helps us continue to get great guests. So if you haven't done that, please go do that now. We appreciate you. Uh, Cameron, Andrea, Ben, thank you all so much for serving our audience, Kingdom Real Estate Investors, and we'll see everybody next week. Cheers. Cheers. Hey, just because the show's over doesn't mean the journey is. Listen, if you're a faith-driven real estate professional or investor, then you'll want to go to thekingdomrei.com to learn about our mastermind. If you're interested in investing alongside me in alternative investments like multifamily apartment complexes, then head to ellishammond.com 
www.thrivingmindset.com to learn more about that. Cheers.